tonight, the spirit of America lives here in Houston, Texas. On behalf of everyone here in the arena and a worldwide television audience, we would like to extend our condolences to the victims and the families and friends of the victims of the terrorist acts that occurred on Tuesday in New York City and Washington, D.C. Our nation's leaders have encouraged us to return to living our lives the way we normally do. Our nation's leaders have encouraged us to continue to live our lives the American way. They've encouraged us to practice and exercise our constitutional rights. And as such, tonight I believe this is the first public assembly of its size since the tragedy of Tuesday. Make, make no mistake about what, and make no mistake about the message this public assembly is sending to terrorism tonight. message quite simply is that we will not live our lives in fear. The citizens of Houston are not afraid. The citizens of Texas are indeed not afraid. And by God, the citizens of the United States are not afraid. For we are a proud people, proud of who we are, proud of our nation, and damn proud to be Americans. tonight. The World Wrestling Federation would like to thank each and every one of you watching on television. We would like to thank you for the honor and privilege of performing before you here tonight. Thank you very much for tuning in to a very special edition of Kicking Out at Two here on the 20th anniversary of 9-11. I'm your host, Dave Rosenbluth. And, uh, you know, before we get into what we're going to discuss here, uh, which we're going to be covering, I'm just going to give you my thoughts, you know, briefly on the the WWE documentary called Never Forget uh, that came out uh, just, uh, as a matter of fact, just yesterday on September the 10th, 2021, as they discuss and go over the events that transpired following the 9-11 attacks um, when they were the first public assembly in the United States since the terrorist attacks on September the 13th, 2021 um, for a live edition of SmackDown uh, from Houston, Texas. So I'm going to talk about my thoughts on that as well as give you my thoughts on what I was going through during that period of time because 
Uh, for some of you that follow this show and for some of you that don't follow the show, I'll just fully disclose, uh, I lost a loved one in 9-11. My cousin Keith George Fairbin was a paramedic EMT at uh, New York Presbyterian Hospital, and he made the ultimate sacrifice uh, to, to, to go into the towers and to uh, you know, risk his life to, to save others. Uh, his calling was to help people, and uh, you know, he, he died doing what he loved to do. Uh, so uh, you know, at that time, uh, at the time of the, uh, the, the, the ship, that show airing, that SmackDown airing, uh, he, he was still deemed missing. So I'll get into more of that in a little bit. Um, but, you know, for those of you also that follow us on social media as well, um, if you saw it up there on the Facebook page, I, I talked about a programming note and how there wasn't going to be any recordings going forward for a brief period of time. We're going to take a little bit of a hiatus. The, the, the Hurricane Ida uh, swung through the northeast and caused some flooding in my basement. Luckily, my recording equipment uh, is still intact. Uh, no, no damage there, but there was some water damage to the carpet to where, you know, in the area of where I record. So um, I'm currently sitting in my basement right now recording, but there is a lot of stuff, a lot of furniture moved around, things like that. So uh, for the time being, uh, I'm going to take a little bit of a brief hiatus. Uh, and next week on the 15th, September 15th, this coming Wednesday, we won't have a show, but the following week, I know I gave you guys a different date on social media, but uh, the last recording will be on September the 22nd. Uh, 2021 uh, Mankind Shawn Michaels Mind Games 25th anniversary watch along with Dennis J. Levy his favorite Mankind match of all time so uh, look forward to that but let's get down to the brass taxes here and talk about what's more important today and that's honoring and uh, showing our respect to those that we lost on this terrible tragedy 20 years ago today um, every it's it's it is a moment in time that everyone can say can honestly remember where they were I was in college. I was you know, my first year in college. I was community college, and I was taking culinary classes because I thought I was going to be top chef at the time. And I was in a baking class, and we were when we would go to class, we would meet in a classroom, and then we would walk together to the kitchen to do our exercise um, and our activities for the day. And so we met in a classroom. There was a TV on in the classroom, and I see a plane sticking out of the building. And it just says plane um, crashes into, you know, World Trade Center. And, you know, I'm thinking to myself, oh, it's like one of these little hangar planes, these little puddle jumpers that seats like two or three people. You know, hopefully no one's hurt. Didn't know the, the magnitude and the enormity of what we were going through at that time. So the teacher shuts the TV off. We do roll call. We head to class. And we go about our day. And uh, about, you know, maybe about a half hour later or so, uh, uh, somebody from administration comes in and says, there's another plane that hit the building. And she, her exact words were, we're going to war. And she wasn't lying. But um, my heart started to sink, started to race a little bit. I was worried about my brother, Daryl. Um, Daryl is um, on, the, on the autism spectrum. And so Daryl... Uh, I, I was afraid that he was going to be worried about things. That he was going to have like a meltdown. So I was more concerned about trying to get to him than anything else. And they eventually shut down state facilities, which was that one in the state of Connecticut. And, you know, I went home. Daryl got off the bus. He seemed unfazed. But my mother delivered the news that your cousin Keith is down there. And he hasn't reported back to his unit yet. And so that began what I would consider the, you know, the, the, the downfall of, 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 of me personally um, and what I had gone through in 20 years uh, to eventually get me to this point today. But I just want to give you my, my, my thoughts and, uh, you know, recap a little bit what I took away from the, the 9-11 documentary um, that WWE put together. It's about 34 minutes. It's on Peacock. It's called Never Forget. Um, you can find it on there. Uh, I, I recommend watching it. I mean, it's got a personal effect for me, but for those of you out there that, you know, lived through it, or maybe some of you that didn't live through 9-11 or doesn't have a vivid memory of 9-11, some of you younger folks that listen to this podcast, I'd go check it out. I, I think it's a, a good watch. It's 34 minutes. Um, let me talk about some of the things that, uh, that, that really stuck out to me. Um, 
You know, they interviewed people the likes of, you know, Paul Heyman, Vince McMahon, Bruce Pritchard, Triple H, Stephanie McMahon, um, Booker T, JBL, uh, Sean Waltman, um, Steve Austin, uh, people that were there that, you know, in Houston that evening. Um, the documentary opens with a shot of the Freeman Coliseum from San Antonio, Texas, where the live edition of Monday Night Raw from September the 10th, 2001 took place. And you hear, you know, Austin and Stephanie and Bruce Pritchard kind of giving their thoughts on the evening. It's deemed business as usual. Um, Trey Wingo, former ESPN anchor, talks about the the impact that WWE at that time had on society and culture um, and how it was just, you know, one of the... the the, the stalwarts, the mainstream in pop culture at that time um, as we head into what we didn't know was going to be the September 11th attacks. Uh, this documentary is narrated by Tom Rinaldi, by the way, just to give you guys a, a, a heads up. Um, Paul Heyman talks in the documentary about um, what he was doing on the morning of 9-11 as a part of the WWF creative team and uh, going over the events that they were set to um set to go forth with, with SmackDown being taped in Houston on that Tuesday evening. Um, Bruce Pritchard talks about uh, watching the Today Show in his hotel room and seeing these planes come through and not knowing what to think. And then Vince walks in to the hotel room and he's not sure what to, what, what, what he's what he's seeing um, as more people migrate to Pritchard's hotel room. They're all in shock as to what they're witnessing. Um, during that time period, I was more worried about trying to find my, you know, make sure my brother was okay. I didn't actually watch the towers collapse live on television. Like a lot of people did at that time. I would eventually see it later on the news, but um, I didn't watch him collapse live. I was in route to getting to my brother and making sure that he was okay. And then coming home and my mother, you know, informing me of, of Keith's whereabouts, um, so I didn't get to see any of that. Um, one of the things that I took away from this documentary as I was watching it was that, uh, Steve Austin spoke and he talked about, you know, the events that transpired as he's watching this and you could see that he almost broke down and cried, but you don't see that from someone like him. He's not the type of person to really open up and, and really let his emotions come out. And I thought that was very telling, um, Someone who, to me and to most people watching him, that have followed him throughout his career, you know, they expect him to be this hard-nosed, very closed-off um, person when it comes to emotions and feelings. And you know, we kind of got to see a little bit of the the softer side of of Steve Austin in that particular moment in the documentary, which I really felt was um, was very telling of of not only him as a human being, but um, of the story and the message that WWE was trying to present in this documentary and how much this tragedy had an effect on the talent and the people working in the company during this time period. Um, Stephanie McMahon spoke and I'm sorry, let me, I'll go back to that in a second. Um, Lillian Garcia, who, by the way, I, at the end of this recording, I'll be playing her, her rendition of the national anthem from that evening. Um, on September the 13th, that live SmackDown, Lillian Garcia was interviewed, and she recalls talking to one of her friends on the phone who called her and woke her up out of sleep to tell her that he's okay, he's he's heading uptown, he's running away from the, from the, the explosion, and then she goes to turn on the TV, she's watching this all transpire, and then the phone cuts out as she's watching the towers crumble on TV. Um... That's got to be a pretty jarring moment to really, to, to, to really experience and go through. Um, I know from personal experience through my father, one of his best friends uh, worked uh, near the, the, the Twin Towers in New York City. His, one of his friends is one of his best friends, Scott. And Scott recalled telling my father... Um, back then, 20 years ago, that as he was running, um, uh, he saw a couple of bodies drop from the towers right in front of him. Uh, something that I don't think he ever fully recovered from. Uh, even looking at pictures of it, 
me personally, I, I saw pictures of it recently as they've been airing, the you know, news outlets have been airing, you know, 9-11 specials on television. It's still pretty weird to and, and, and uncomfortable to look at the pictures of these human beings that, that, that jumped out of their window hundreds of feet in the air to their death. Um, something very uncomfortable to watch and I can only imagine... Well, actually, I really can't imagine what my dad's friend Scott was going through at this time. I know that he had gone through therapy following this. Um, but, yeah, that's something that I don't think that anyone, anyone should have to see or should ever have to endure um, in our lifetime. Something that just kind of stuck out to me. That's, that was the first thing that came to my mind when she talked about how she was talking with her friend on the phone and the phone cut out as this person was running away from the towers. That's that to me was the, the first thing that came to mind. I was like, Oh, dad's friend, Scott. And it, it was, it was just very, I felt this uncomfortable feeling as she was telling the story too. It was very, it was very jarring. Um, Stephanie McMahon recalls worrying about potential people who could be in the area, like her mom, some of her friends in college, she couldn't get in touch with anyone. Um, you could see the, 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 the tears well up in her eyes and the emotion in her voice. Um, how much of this had an effect on her, her, like myself, I, you know, no one could get a hold of Keith at the time I was 18. I didn't have his cell phone number. So, um, but you know, my uncle and aunt, they, they, the last thing that my uncle said to Keith was be careful. Keith called him and said, I'm busy. I gotta go, but you know, I'll, I'll call you later. And, uh, my uncle, you know, said, I love you. Be careful. And those were the last words he ever he ever spoke. Um, so to 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 have that moment, and then to kind of compare it to what Stephanie was going through, that fear. Um, um, you know, fortunately for Stephanie, obviously her mother's still alive. She was able to get a hold of her friends from college. You know, everyone seemed to be fine, and uh, you know, in a safe place. But uh, that brought me back to the story my uncle told me about talking to Keith for the last time on the phone. And just telling them to be careful. And they loved them. Um, that's something that, you know, I don't think any parent should ever have to go through. But also something that I can't, I can never relate to. I can never relate to that feeling of knowing that you spoke to that person for the last time. And, and something as tragic as this took place. That's something that, you know, I'm sure sticks with my uncle every single day of his life. Um one of the things that was noted in this documentary was um, the history of New York City and Madison Square Garden with the WWE. As we all know, Madison Square Garden is like the official home of WWE, WWF, deep in history. A lot of classic monumental moments have taken place in New York City over, you know, decades upon decades of wwf wwe programming so they they kind of talk about that hogan spoke in the documentary um and talked about you know how his big moment took place in madison square garden in new york city when he defeated the iron Sheik, and that's how things took off um there was one point that was made by paul Heyman in this documentary during that portion of it uh when they were talking about the history of new york city and the wwf wwe where Heyman um brings up how there before the September 11th attacks there was there was a there was this strong invulnerability from New Yorkers um and how nothing could phase them and you know people from New York are a different breed okay my father my late grandmother family members from New York they are a different breed of people i probably have a little bit of new york in me even though i never lived there even though i wasn't born there um you know, my family roots come from, you know, the New York tri-state area. And so the, it was it was a great point for him to bring up invulnerability because I've always seen this, this narrative, this picture that was painted for me of New Yorkers as being tough as nails. You know, take shit from nobody. Uh, bulletproof, if you will. Uh, individuals that, you know, the, 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 the toughest of the tough. Um, and 20 years ago, as I'm watching this tragedy unfold, as my family is going through this, as we're still waiting on word from Keith, I'm seeing not only just the country, but 
more in particular New York, go through this this tragic event and you're just seeing people that you thought were untouchable, bulletproof. They're, they're, they're real human beings. They're, you know, they hurt too. And so you saw vulnerability set in with New Yorkers because the Twin Towers had fallen and we had this attack from this foreign entity, which would end up becoming, you know, Al-Qaeda and the Taliban. Which was something that I didn't expect to see. Um, you know, I'll kind of fast forward a little bit here. Um, about, I'd say, maybe about a week. First weekend, I think. It was that first or second weekend. Might have been the first weekend following 9-11. My mother, my father, myself. We drove to New York. To be with my uncle and aunt, because at the time Keith still wasn't found. And so, I remember, you know, there's a lot of people, you know, my uncle and aunt's house. And they've got food and everyone's just, you know, there to, to, to console and be there for them. You know, they were, you know, Keith was also a volunteer fireman for the Floral Park Fire Department in the town that he lived in. So, there was a... um you know, outpouring of support from the fire department. You know, my uncle Ken uh, retired from the Floral Park Fire, Depart- fire Department. He also, um, you know, had his colleagues there. My, my, my aunt was a New York City school teacher. And there were people from all walks of life that were at the house that converged to my uncle and aunt's house. And so um, I got to see the vulnerability of New Yorkers up close and in person, not just on television from what we were seeing that the news was, from what the news was showing us. And there was a moment that weekend where I was sitting on the front steps by myself just trying to collect myself and I um I broke down crying and I remember my uncle came out to to hug me and you know tell me everything's going to be okay he still had hope that they'd find Keith I kind of had that hope too that like you know we were going to be there when we got the phone call um he hugged me and he went back inside the house and i remember a stranger that was walking down the street i don't know if they knew my uncle if they you know lived in the neighborhood but he came over and gave me a big hug. And I could, it just reminded me a lot of what Paul Heyman had mentioned in the documentary about, you know, New Yorkers and their invulnerability before this moment. And, you know, now I got to see it up close and impersonal. And it was like a really powerful moment. Of course, in our society, especially in our country, we go through periods of tragedy where it will bring us together, you know. But then when the dust settles and things have, you know, gotten back to normal, we all go back to taking things for granted and taking each other for granted. So that was a moment where I was just, I, I, I'll never forget it. It's a very powerful moment. Um, I thought I would share with you guys because it really reminded me a lot of what this documentary was all about. Um, Now let me rewind back because we're talking about the documentary in that period of time. And so in the documentary, Bruce Pritchard talks about how the, the, the arena in Houston um, informs them that there's postponement of the show for security purpose. They're allowing the talent, the option to drive home to be with their families. But, you know, I've said that, you know, 
we're going to stay here and, you know, hunker down because it's probably not the safest to, to, to really go anywhere because nobody knew what kind of resources that this terrorist group had, you know, what they were going after, if they were going to be going after large public assemblies or largely populated areas, nobody really knew, um, Devon Dudley, who gets in, who was interviewed in this documentary, recalls getting together with other talent to go grab a bite to eat in the city of Houston, and how the city was empty. And it reminded me a lot of going places to the gas station, wherever, and just my town in Connecticut was empty. A lot of towns were like that in Connecticut; just very empty. Um, Edge, who also get, who was also interviewed for this, described it as post-apocalyptic, which. I didn't feel that for me personally, but there were, I, I, I'd seen pictures of different cities and different communities that were just empty, were ghost towns because people were scared to, to go out in public. And so um, not being able to live it and, and truly understand it from their perspective um, at that time, I really you know can't speak on it, but um, I can imagine it. I can only imagine what, what all of you you know, felt and what you were doing during that time period. Um, I will say this, there's one point in, the, in, in this, in this portion of the documentary where Sean Waltman talks about how the talent just wanted to be around each other, you know, and, 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 and make sure every, everybody was okay. And that was the kind of mindset that I was in, um, with like friends and even my family to some degree. Um, I just wanted to be around people. Um, and, you know, make sure that other people were okay. And I wanted to make sure that I was okay. And big part of why my cousin's death has affected me so much is because, you know, I, he, he lived in New York. I lived in Connecticut and I didn't have a whole lot of time with him, but the times I had with him were fantastic. You know, he liked wrestling. He had all the LJN rubber dolls. Okay. Like all of them, all right. I when I used to go to his house in New York, that was first thing I did: go to Keith's room, play with the play with the toys, um, and he'd play with them too. Um, and he would show me pictures of wrestling shows that you know my uncle took him to. And I remember he had a picture with Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, and he was holding the Intercontinental Title that Ricky the Dragon Steamboat won from Randy Savage. So, um, I. As I had gotten older, always very felt fondly of Keith and looked forward to days of, of us spending together. Like I pictured him being in my wedding someday. Um, you know, I pictured, you know, sitting on the front porch having a beer with him type of thing. Uh, I remember a few months before this happened, I graduated high school and he called me to congratulate me, he wasn't going to be able to make it. And he was originally on the path to culinary at one point when he was, um, when, when he had graduated high school and gone to college. And he just said, if you're really interested, I know some people at, at, at Cornell in New York city, the, the, um, the, the, the culinary school. And if you need anything, just let me know. Maybe take a trip into the city. We'll go hang out, get a bite to eat, et cetera, et cetera. Um, which I was like, that's great. I'd love that, you know, get to see my cousin Keith again, you know. It would have been amazing. Uh, but unfortunately, you know, that, that didn't that didn't happen. But a big part of why this affected me so much is because me personally, like, I looked up to him. I'm the oldest of four boys, okay? And I always saw him as an older brother figure. I didn't consider him an older brother, but in that realm. So... Not being able to have these moments with him, I felt robbed of that. Like I, we were only six years apart in age. He was twenty-four when he died. I was eighteen, so um, I always had images and visions of being able to share our lives together, you know, as family. Um, and then as my brothers get older too, as well, you know, Keith being a part of that. Um, so it was, um, it was, it was very hard for me. 
at 18. I was going through a lot of change. I graduated high school. I just started college. I was, you know, trying to be an adult and this kind of sidetracked me. And unfortunately, it took me for a big loop for over a decade, if not more. Um, in terms of, you know, what, what I'd gone through in my life. And I'll discuss that, you know, later on. But um, as we continue with the... Um, um, with this documentary here, uh, ESPN anchor Trey Wingo talks about how professional sports had shut down and how, um, you know, there was, there was a lot of controversy surrounding WWF and WWE, um, wanting to resume normal operations. Uh, Vince and Bruce are both interviewed in this on this portion of the documentary and talk about how they wanted to, they want to do something as a way to, to fight back, you know, and let people know that like, you're not going to break the spirit of America. You know, you're not going to stop us from doing our normal everyday things. You know, we want to entertain these people and entertain all of you that have been affected by this tragedy. Um, they wanted to, to divert attention from the attacks and ease the mind of the viewers at home that have been watching the ongoing television coverage. Cause as most of you know, it was just nonstop, every channel. I mean, every walk of life stopped for over a week. You know, ESPN had coverage of the terror attacks 24-7. Every channel, I mean, all walks of life covered this, you know. If you were expecting to watch a, a one of your TV shows, that wasn't happening. If you were expecting to watch a ball game, that wasn't happening. Um, so, eventually, the building manager... Uh, was was up for the task and said, yeah, let's put this together. Let's make this happen. Um, and, so, you know, there's some talent were interviewed, like Edge thought about maybe this would be a good idea to go back home to your families. Austin talked about maybe, is this something, you know, we're doing too soon? I'll be honest with you, as selfishly as a wrestling fan, I'll, I'll be perfectly honest with you. I thought this was a great diversion. Um. My brother Justin just posted something on Facebook this morning about this. How um, this was one of the one of the main sticking points as to why he's a wrestling fan. Uh, because they were able to take an entire country, you know, you know, you know eighteen thousand people in an arena, millions of people watching at home. They were able to take them and allow themselves to get lost for two hours in in the entertainment aspect of professional wrestling, sports entertainment, if you will, uh, while at the same time paying respect to those that have been affected by this terrible tragedy. And, you know, my father at the time went to New York to go visit my cousin, to go visit, you know, his cousin, my aunt and uncle. And my mother was at home. Holding the fort down with the four of us, and all four of us Rosenbluth boys sat in my bedroom and watched SmackDown that night um, without knowing, you know, what was to come. With Keith still missing, and but with this solidarity, you know. I was 18 at the time. Justin and Zach were 12. Daryl was 13. You know, I'm the oldest of four. So there's a little bit of distance in terms of the age gap. And um, they were still my little brothers. But um, we were all brothers together watching this. And praying that, you know, we would find Keith. Praying that this would be... Just a bad dream. But at the same time, being entertained by what they were bringing us. Um, and it was it, it was something that... is one of those moments as a wrestling fan I'll never forget. I mean, I, I always remember my dad taking me to see WrestleMania 3 in a movie theater. I always remember, you know, the, the, the first wrestling show I ever went to. You know, there's... A count on one hand list of like the most important memorable moments as a wrestling fan for me that I've witnessed. And this was one of them because this personally affected our family. And so being able to have that moment with the four of us Rosenbluth boys together, 
uh, something really special, something that I'll never forget, something that I'll always cherish that, you know, it's like, it's like one of those, it felt like to me at that time and looking back on it, I, I could reiterate and back up this statement. It felt like we were all sitting together watching somebody land on the moon, like the like generations before me when they went and sat in their living room and watched it that felt as big of a moment for me you know what i mean um because our country and our society was in a state of uncertainty because of these terrorist attacks and you know my number one passion my mistress if you will you know i have my wife nikki who i love very dearly but then there's my mistress which is professional wrestling and they were they were keeping it together for a lot of individuals that were affected by this tragedy. And it's something that I will never forget um, going through and watching this. Um, and the documentary just brought back so many memories. I, I just, I felt the need I had to share this today on September the 11th uh, with all of you. Um, but let's continue here. Um, the city of Houston talks about being willing to work with the company to put this show on. There was an individual by the name of Mattress Mac who owned the largest furniture store in Houston. He helped promote the event, coordinate the logistics of, of staging this live SmackDown episode, which would be the nation's first public gathering since the 9-11 attacks. Uh, Bruce Pritchard's talked about in his podcast the impact that Mattress Mac has had on professional wrestling in the, in the city of Houston. This situation was no different. Um, Robert Ory. Former Los Angeles Lakers, San Antonio Spur, Houston Rockets. At the time he played for the Houston Rockets, seven-time NBA world champion, was in attendance at this show um, on this night. He had tickets for it, brought his kids. And he talked about how he just wanted to get lost in this um, in the show and, and divert the attention of the attacks um, somewhere else. And so um, the impact that that had on professional athletes as well. Someone who who at that time was in the spotlight in professional sports and his job is to, you know, put on the best performance athletically and entertain in the sport of basketball. Even he showed his human side. He was humanized, you know, by these attacks. And he needed that reprieve, that respite, if you will, of pro wrestling um, and WWF at that time. Um Undertaker, who was also part of that show, uh, was interviewed and talking about feeling a, a, a sense of pride knowing that the company was going to produce this show for the American people. Um, yeah, I, I, I'll never forget throughout the course of the evening watching the show and um, just feeling very, having, feeling this like this wave of patriotism, you know? Um, I mean, I, I, I played the, the Vince McMahon's speech at the beginning of this recording, which, by the way, I don't own the, the, the rights to the, the audio. It's WWE's. But, um, man, Vince really fired up that crowd, you know? He's, like, me personally, like, you could have sent him to the White House. You could have sent him to the troops overseas, and he can get everybody fired up and walk across hot coals, butt ass naked, uh, to to fight for your country. You know, like that's the kind of motivational speaker I feel like he is, and I think he did such a great job setting the tone and letting the United States of America, letting the wrestling community know that we are going to get through this. We are going to, we're going to to. We're going to continue what we do as Americans, and that's live our lives freely. And we're not going to let this entity stop us. Um, let me see what else here in my notes. I'm sorry. Um, Robert Ory. Security issues being tight. You can only imagine what that was like. Uh, Kurt Angle and JBL and Devon Dudley talk about how there was po local police, there was National Guard, there was Army. Tight security measures were in, were, were, were were put in place for um, this show. Obviously, two days after the September 11th attacks. Um, you know, I'll be honest with you. I I, I remember. Going to places like it would be, I saw a lot of extra police. 
Saw a lot of extra National Guard in my local area. Um, a lot of law enforcement around. Um, but I also saw a lot of solidarity amongst, you know, law enforcement and our community after these attacks. Um, here's one thing that really struck me uh, from this documentary that I'd like to share with you all. Uh, Paul Heyman recalls a stagehand from New York crying in a corner and hugging him. The stagehand says to Heyman, we're going to get through this, right? To which Heyman then replied, this situation or tonight's broadcast? And then the stagehand replies, I'll take either answer. And Heyman says, let's get through tonight's broadcast and then we'll fix the world. And I thought that was such a great line because that was what this was all about. This was a reprieve. This was a respite of, of what we were dealing with with this tragedy. As much as I got lost in those two hours sitting in my bedroom with my brothers watching this episode of SmackDown, um, in the back of my mind, I knew that you know when that when when that show was over and they rolled credits, we were back to Keith still missing, and there's thousands of people that are still missing, along with my cousin, and we're living in a state of uncertainty because of these terrorist attacks. But the two hours that were spent were two hours very well spent um and i mentioned earlier there was there was talk about how um you know there was uncertainty whether they should even put this show on a lot of controversy trey ring wingo from espn made mention of that in this documentary but he also made mention of the fact that the reaction to vince mcmahon's speech solidified the answer that they should have gone on the air and and put this show forth and i i, I agree with him 100 percent um it was a it was a really a good way for for America and our country and our society to 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 take a breath from what we were experiencing, um, even for a short moment. And people could sit there and say that 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 WWE did this because they were losing money and and this was this was Vince's way of of making sure that you know he didn't lose any money and no no no. I, 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 in this case, I think this was all about entertaining the people and trying to put smiles on faces for people that have been affected by this tragedy. And so, um, I think the reaction that that crowd gave Vince in his speech, and you, you heard it in the audio, was just unreal and solidified the answer that this, that this, this show should have went on, um, I want to talk a little bit about what the talent disclosed in this documentary regarding the the family atmosphere, the patriotism that they all experienced. Um, Steve Austin and Booker T talk about this unity that was that was put forth by the talents and by the people working in the company as they mourned together. Um, you kind of threw the wrestling rule book out the window. It didn't really matter who was a heel, who was a baby face. At this point, it was just all about entertaining the people. Um, JBL and Bruce talk about the unity they felt with those in attendance as well as across the nation, uh, which, I mean, it's 2021 and our country is severely divided. Not just split down the middle, but like in all different sections, okay? Let's be perfectly honest here, all right? You know, between whether you want to get a vaccination, whether you don't, whether you want to wear a mask, whether you don't, whether you believe in guns, abortion, you know, uh, whether you're Republican, Democrat, I could give a shit about any of that. Okay, that's just me personally. But there's so much division in our country that unfortunately it takes a tragedy like this to bring everyone together and for us to realize that we're all human beings too. Okay, we're all the same people. We pump the same blood. All right. Um, and this was a situation in 2001 that, that brought everyone back to life. I mean, I said it the other day to, to, to a coworker of mine, you know, even the bad guys. You know, <laughs> even even bad people, people that were locked in prisons, people that are, are criminals were unified by this because their walk of life, their country as well was under attack. Um, and I think that's, you know, I think unfortunately it could take something like this again in our in our country, in our society to bring people back together. But maybe there's so much division that that it that it won't. But my point here is, is. 
I want everyone listening to this, whether what, regardless of what your beliefs are on any of those other subjects I just brought up, remember as you watch this documentary and what I'm telling you, remember the unity, remember the, the, the united front our country put forth when we were backed up against the wall. Remember, you know, the, 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 the bonds that we all shared together and how good we felt about being around each other and taking care of each other. Remember all of that because that's still very possible, you know. I, I Just please keep that in mind, please, because there's so much division in our country. It's disgusting, okay, and... Like I've said multiple times, unfortunately, it will take something terrible to happen for us to be like, I love you. I care about you. You know, um, tell the ones you love that you love them because there is, as cliche as it may sound, there is no promise for tomorrow. Tomorrow's not a promise, it's a privilege. And I didn't get to say that to my cousin Keith. I'm saying it to him now. But I didn't get to say it to him 20 years ago. I wish I did. It's not a regret that I have, but I wish I did. Um, yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah, let's, let's, let's be good to each other. Let's take care of each other. Let's inspire each other. You know, personally, I'll, I'll go on record saying I got a coworker of mine, Calvin Reynoso. Served in our military. Served over in Iraq a few times. One hell of a dude. Fucking an inspiration to many, okay? He's, he's, he's all about changing the culture and, 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 and setting the bar and inspiring people. Um, you know, he, he lost a brother... Um, who served in the military and his own, his very own brother. And so um, his purpose in life now is to inspire other people and to help, you know, wounded veterans that have served in war so that they can go about and have a, you know, get the help and the resources they need, you know, to, 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 to live an everyday normal life and not have this, this, this war and this tragedy sit with you for the rest of your life. Um, and affect your relationships with family and friends and even your own health. So, a uh, big shout out to Calvin Reynoso. Um, keep doing what you're doing, man. Uh, after talking with you the, the other day, it inspired me hearing your story uh, to, to, to be the better change for, for myself, but for everybody else. So, I, I thank you for, for that. Um, just a few more uh, points I'd like to, you know, discuss um, regarding this documentary here, and then we'll close it out with Lillian Garcia's rendition of the national anthem. Um, she she's interviewed regarding that moment, and Vince talks about, or she talks about how Vince approached her and asked her to do this, and she felt it was a big honor, but felt there's there's you know pressure. And I remember as I was watching this on the documentary, they get to the part where she sings the she she's got a really high note and she sings. And I don't like to use many cliches, but this one literally took my breath away, and I was just bawling like a baby. And then I remember twenty years ago sitting in my bedroom and getting choked up as she was singing this song, and all my brothers you could see were getting choked up, and we were all together. This just if. It felt like such a great moment 20 years ago when we were all in my bedroom watching that moment together that when I went, when I watched that moment on the documentary and I went back, I got, I got chills, man. And I don't use that term. I don't get chills often. That's not something that, you know, I, I, it's, it's not a thing for me, but it really struck me. It really did. Um, and to see the emotion come out of her as she's performing, in my opinion, one of the greatest renditions of the national anthem ever. You know, you've had Whitney Houston at the Super Bowl, and you know, you've had other, you know, celebrities do the national anthem at big sporting events and 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 
big gatherings, but this right here was one of the most important, in my opinion. One of the most important and one of the best renditions of the national anthem um, ever. And I it probably won't get enough credit because it took place in the wrestling world, but man, she just she she gave all of her heart to that. And it was just unreal. Unreal. Um Let me close by saying um, that I suggest you all watch this documentary. It's 34 minutes on Peacock. Go check it out. Never forget WWE Returns After 9-11. That's what it's called on Peacock, on the WWE portion of Peacock. It really brought back a lot of memories of going through the emotional roller coaster during that period of time um, for my family. Um, it wouldn't be until, I'd say, five months later when they eventually found Keith's body. Um, and he was officially laid to rest in March of 2002. Uh, but during that time period, you know, I remember my father and I talking, and they were like, you know, we'll take. We don't care if he's in a wheelchair anymore. You know, we don't care if he's, you know, if he can't speak anymore. You know, just having him would be the ultimate blessing. Um, and uh, unfortunately, we 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 didn't get that. Um, I'm at a loss for words here. I know I'm kind of stumbling over my words. I apologize to you all. Um, but um, this is real personal for me. It hits home for me because this was the beginning of my downfall, like I mentioned earlier. I'd gone through a lot of things in my life that um, I brought upon myself. And this was like the, the, the spark that started it all, losing my cousin and um, quitting school. Um, not really focusing on my education, just kind of barely getting through life, bullshit job after bullshit job, um, drinking a lot, uh, yeah, drinking a lot. Um, I always say that January 1st, 2012 was the beginning of my new life and that Keith saved my life, my guardian angel. Um, that was the day I got into a severe car accident, almost died, woke up in the hospital, no knowledge of how I got there, um, and clean and sober ever since, okay, we'll be approaching 10 years in January, and it's kind of ironic how my downfall kind of started with my cousin Keith's loss. But then my comeback began. With this accident. And him saving me. Now. Ten years ago. You know. I was still. Trying to find my way. But I was in a better place. And. It's. it's you know. It kind of takes me longer than others. To really get. My, you know. The, the horse back on. You know. Back on the horse. But. um, About a year ago. On September 11th. 2020. I began. I embarked on. You know, what would be the one of the biggest days of my life, starting as a corrections officer for the Department of Corrections in the state of Connecticut. And it's no coincidence that on September 11th, that day, the day that my cousin Keith died, that I was beginning a new career. Now, I don't, I'm not a very spiritual person. I don't believe in a lot of that stuff. Maybe I should a little bit more. But it's no coincidence that September 11th, 2001, as I was entering adulthood, this tragedy struck and I kind of let this affect me and affect me in my way of life and moving forward and being a better human being and, and, and building a life for myself. I let, I let this 
And then, of course, other things continued to spiral, like I said, with the drinking and, you know, the poor choices I made in life and the, the relationships I was in and the friendships I was in and things like that. I let a lot of that stuff, I got, I, I couldn't get out of my own way. And I get, in a, I get in a car accident. I wake up in the hospital. I truly believe that Keith saved my life. I do. Because... I think he wanted me to to be able to accomplish things he wasn't able to accomplish because he sacrificed so much. And I thank him for that. Um, and then, full circle, September 11th, 2020, you know, I get a big boy job the state of Connecticut as a corrections officer and in this past year I have just felt this this I I I I I've always felt Keith's presence at moments in my life since he's been gone but more so in the last year with starting this job and going through every situation I've been in working in a prison I've just felt this presence with me not that I'm like bulletproof or untouchable but like this presence of like him helping me and guiding me and shaping me into the individual that I currently am today and that I was meant to do this and something I'll be continuing for the next 25 years until I retire and I can't thank you enough Keith I can't um I know I had to do the work too but you were you, your presence was always there these last 20 years and more so in the last year for really getting me to where I need to be. Um, and on that note, we can wrap things up here um, with this special 9-11 tribute. Uh, like I said, go check the documentary out. I thought it was great. Well done by WWE. I think when it comes to that kind of content, they are at their best. Okay, um, Telling these stories, I thought it was... Um, I thought it was really well done. The documentary, the interviews that they had, the guys that they were interviewing. Um, I, I you can even watch the episode of SmackDown. It's on the it's on Peacock, September thirteenth, two thousand and one. Uh, special nine eleven tribute. Uh, uh, Kurt Angle against Rhino in the main event for the the the, the world title. Um, I believe there was a dark match with Austin and Rock. I don't know if it's on the peak if it's on Peacock or whatever, but. Um, you could probably find it somewhere on like YouTube or Google or something, but yeah, um, I wanted to share this with all of you after watching this documentary and what we were living through my family and myself 20 years ago up until this point, uh, cause it's very important to me and I'm privileged and blessed to be able to have this outlet to share that with all of you. So I thank you very much for taking the time and listening. And on that note, I think it's about that time that we officially put this show down for the three count. We end it with Lillian Garcia's rendition of the national anthem. And remember, love each other. Take care of each other. Let's not let another tragedy bring us all together like it did 20 years ago on September the 11th, 2001. And God bless America. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, please rise for the singing of our national anthem. Stripes and bright stars through the perilous fight. Oh, the ramparts we watched were so gallantly streaming, and the rockets rang the alarm burst.